LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Scott Sanders. And I'm Derek Hanna. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel-centered ministry every week. Today, we're talking about revitalization. That's right. So we're continuing our series in church planning models and uh, having a thing into the different kinds of models there are for multiplication and revitalization is the one we're looking at today, which is you know not quite church planning, but it is a kind of, it's connected and certainly it's going to be huge in the next you know, 10 to 20 years in Australia and throughout the Western world as well. You've pressed play on another episode of The One Thing, Revitalization. Now, Derek, I just want to pick up before we uh, hear from Ian Spence, uh, I want to pick up just on that. It's something that we're going to see more of. Uh, yeah, are you just negative, Nancy, looking at the state of the play in, in Australian church? You're just thinking it's not good and revitalization has to happen? Or is that just a kind of a natural part of the ebb and flow of church life and organizational life? Well, I just want to apologize to all the Nancys that are listening today <laughs> out there and the Karens, just for not this podcast, but other people using, using that word. Um, well, I don't think I'm being negative. The realization is there are an increasing number of uh, small churches. 50% of churches in Australia are under 50. And so there is an increasing number of smaller uh, country, suburban and urban churches uh, that have a, a dwindling population. Now, uh, the corollary to that is that there are church plants that are flourishing, but they're often meeting in schools and places like that. Um, there are churches meeting in existing buildings that are flourishing as well, but there's a growing number of churches that are dwindling that we need to work out how it is we revitalise with a gospel focus, gospel heart, as gospel communities in the place that they live. I don't think I'm being needy. That's just where we're at. Now, and just to clarify, revitalization versus repotting. Are they the same thing? Are they synonymous? I think repotting is when there is a, a church is close to non-existing. There may be four or five people within there who are inviting someone else in to repot a plant. It is essentially a church plan with an already existing maybe group of four, five, six, however many people that are inviting you back in with other people to join you as well. A revitalization is where you often have what looks like from the outside a viable number of people. So it may be sometimes 15, 20, even 30 people. In fact, I know a place that needs to be revitalized that has about 70 people, which is bigger than the average size in Australia, but it needs revitalization because actually it's on the decline. It's not reaching anyone. The people who are there now are the same people who were there 40 years ago. And so it actually needs to be revitalized. So for me, those, those are two different things. They, they are two different skills. Repotting is closer to a church planting um, uh, leader needed for that and model. Revitalization is a different type of leader. Okay. Well, let's hear from Ian Spence. He's going to introduce himself. So let's uh, hear from Ian. I've been involved in Presbyterian ministry for about 40, 48 years. And uh, I've in Australia, I've pastored two churches. I've pastored Graceful and now I'm pastoring Ithaca Presbyterian Church. Um, I've been involved over the years in a, in a number of revitalizations. Um, one in New Zealand and two here. 
and the, the church we're involved at the moment, we've been appointed, or I've been appointed with, a, with an assistant, with an associate, to actually revit, do a revitalization here at Ithaca. Churches that are in decline uh, often have the same sort of factors uh, present that account for that decline. So, for example, one of the factors I think that's prevalent in churches that are in decline is the whole issue of uh, the environment, physical, and also, um, I think, uh, just in terms of social. So, for example, often churches that are in decline uh, take, it's because the church itself uh, looks unloved in terms of the way it's presented, it's unpainted, or um, it's gloomy, it's dark. Uh, there's literature that fills the foyer that's... Uh, that's really unhelpful for those who are coming as visitors. It's often, uh, it's not a welcoming church, I think, often in, that's, in, in those situations. It's cold, it's icy, and then the music often is archaic and outdated. And uh, the, the way that the music is played is often unprofessional. So I think that's one of the issues really it has to be addressed when you move into a church that needs to be revitalized. You've got to really work hard at uh, the presentation. Um, in one situation, we had to just rebuild the front of the church to open it up and make it look more attractive, repaint it, put in a new kitchen, and so on. So that's something that has to, one has to attend to. Also, the thing that's important, I think, is the, is the, 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 the music and uh, the, 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 sort of the, the contemporary field about, about worship. And I think that's pretty general, and churches that are growing seem to have a more contemporary-type service. Yeah, I think there's three really helpful ones that he's obviously identified and pushed into. There's obviously there's more. These are the ones that he's picked up. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, more relational factors that you need to address in, in the coming snippet. But uh, I suppose what he's pushing into here, there are some uh, immediate wins which he has in the past pushed into in order to change the aesthetic, the view of something for new people who might be walking in, as well as the people who are there, to say there is something different happening here. And so, you know, when he's talking about the, the building, he's saying we can do things aesthetically to the building to make it look like we want new people to come. And if you've been there for 50 years, you don't care that things are the way they are because you're there for your friends. But we are thinking now about not the people who are just here, but the people who are, come, uh, who are going to come. And that's the welcoming part of it as well. That's where it connects. That uh, lots of people will say, we're a friendly church, but I've heard you say this, I've heard other people say it. What they mean when they say that is, I'm friends with the people at church. A new person coming into that environment isn't necessarily welcomed in that. And so that needs to change a view to the outsider, a view to the person who is coming in and inviting them into that. So that's the second area he pushes into, how do we make it welcoming? And look, the, the style of that Sunday gathering as well, sometimes um, there can be the attitude, um, it doesn't matter too much what the Sunday gathering is like. Um, that's not what people make decisions on. It's not the only thing people make decisions on, but it is a key part of it. Um, I, I just want to add, think about your other front door, which is your website um, and your space. And, I, and I'd, I'd also want to sort of think into, as you make those changes, you know, don't kind of oversell yourself. So, you know, so don't go to the clip art images of the, the young 20-something church if, if really you are a, an older family church. Um, you know, don't, don't present on, online what you're not because you have a whole bunch of people coming and then, you know, leaving, leaving pretty quickly. Yeah, and I, I, want, I want to add one more as well. I'd say, I don't know Ian would agree with this as well, but the biggest lever you have as a, a senior minister, as a lead pastor, as a revitalizer in your church is your preaching. 
So you need to shape how you speak about the people who are there, shape how you speak about the people who aren't there so that you build a culture of people expecting that new people will be in that room, that God's word is open and accessible, that you are vision casting, not in a way that panders to what was, but looks towards what could be. Your preaching is the key lever that you've got, I would argue. Now we're going to hear from Ian again. Uh, In this next section, he's going to talk about gatekeepers uh, Tom Rayner, his book, uh, Who Moved My Pulpit, talks about sort of unmovable church members. Uh, and so I want to come back and push into this because I think, you know, this is often the reason why revitalization doesn't work. Uh, unmovable church members who, who just resist and push back against, against any sort of change. So let's hear from Ian. In terms of, of churches, one of the other factors that I think accounts for decline, a, a church in decline, is that you have gatekeepers, pretty common that you, you go into a church where things are not good and you can recognise pretty early on that there are certain individuals who have assumed power, uh, either because of a vacuum or whatever, and they hold positions that are just contrary to, to what's required for a church growth to happen. They can be controlling, they can be scary, they can be the sort of people everybody has to tiptoe around. And as a result, uh, I think it's really difficult to move forward. Any, any attempt by a new minister to introduce change is resisted uh, often with real venom. And so that makes it very difficult. And I just feel that often what, what's needed is for those particular individuals to be sidelined in some way. The, uh, the alternative is actually working with them and trying to win them over, and that can be very time-consuming and take a lot of energy. And in the process, we're missing the opportunity to actually reach the community that needs to be reached right away. So my perspective is often it's better just to do what one can to actually sideline those people. And if they leave, that's fine. It means you've actually got more opportunity to, um, to reach your community, which you're there for. Okay, Scott, uh, just from your reading of Rainer and what you've heard, can you give us those, those five categories of unmovable church leaders? Yeah, so, so Rainer talks about uh, five people that you see in a, you know, in a revitalization: The deniers, the entitled, the blamers, the critics, and the confused. So the denier, uh, Rainer would say they're one of the most difficult to lead in change because he or she does not think anything needs changing. The church is just fine the way it is. There's... There's no motivation to do things differently. So that's the denier. The entitled, uh, they resist change constantly. These church members, they don't want anything that upsets their way of doing church to be introduced to the congregation. They've got their seat. Uh, they've got their way, ways of doing things. They've got their comfort. The blamers. Uh, so the blamers resist change because they don't need to change, at least from their perspective. The problems all reside in the other people over there and you know this situation over here. They don't see anything wrong with themselves. The fourth category, the critics, uh, they're among the first who will voice a complaint when change is initiative. They're difficult, uh, devious and deceptive change resistors. The final one is the confused. Um, the confused are often well-intending members, but they give highest priorities to those things that are not really high priority. Yeah, I think that's good. And keeping in mind, these are all discipleship opportunities, not um, not people that we are in um, battle with necessarily, although there may be conflict and that's okay. And not all people who will end up being with us at the church, as we'll hear Ian talk a little bit about later, um, but there are discipleship opportunities. There's a great story in uh, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell, where he talks about going into a conversation with someone in a church he's in 
um, where he confronts who a guy who is a gatekeeper to enlist his help in that. So he doesn't go in with the explicit uh, objective of getting the person to leave, although that may be an outcome of it. He wants to enlist them in that. So going into those conflicts, hoping and praying that this person can join you on mission, but not expecting it's always going to turn out in the way you expect it to be. Let's pause again and let's hear another grab from Ian. And so at the end of the day, I think it means that you need to be a little bit thick-skinned. You need to be quite a strong personality. You need to be able to push these things through. Um, I've seen in, on, in, in other situations young men being sent into churches to revitalize. And there's two things that have happened. One of the things that's happened is they've tried to facilitate, they've tried to um, compromise, if you like, with the, the power brokers. And then after five years, they suddenly realize they've achieved very little because, because the power brokers are more powerful and they haven't been able to push through the changes. The, the other thing that I think happens is if people are, are sensitive people in situations like this, after two years of trying to push through changes, they just get burnt out because they... they it's interesting that, that um, folk who are actually holding on to power, even in churches, can be somewhat abusive and they can be cruel and they can make your life a misery. Um, and so it's very difficult. So that's one of, that's one of my, pet, my pet hobbies, if you like, is to suggest that what we need to do in terms of revitalization is we need to send in two people, not just one younger person who's going to get eaten up by, by older folk in the church, but you need to send in two people, one who's an older person who's able to shield the younger minister from some of that abuse that will come his way or their way because of the changes. But then a younger person to actually make the connections with the millennials and with the younger folk in the, in the, in the area who can actually attract younger people into the church. Because that's essential. If you're going to revitalize a church, you have to, at the end of the day, uh, in, uh, encourage younger people to come and be part of that church. Okay, so Derek... Who's suited for revitalization? What you know? Give me your ideal revitalizer. Ideal revitalizer. Well, as we've been thinking at Geneva Push into this and talking to other people, I suppose we've seen three broad categories. Um, three broad categories of what people might look like. One is you have to be a patient strategist. You do have to be a patient strategist. So you've got to realize that unlike a church plant where the the cement is very wet and you can shape it how you want. This is like sometimes breaking concrete and reforming things. And so you, the change period needs to be over a much longer period of time. You need to be comfortable with that. Secondly, thinking you've got to be a mediator. You've got to be, be able to straddle um, quite competing uh, and different views of ministry. The third one, you have to be a change agent. So you've got to be emotionally resilient with that stuff. You've got to be able to, to uh, be able to deal with conflict in that. You can't be conflict averse. So, Derek, what's the one thing on revitalization? I want to put the call out to people who are thinking at you know, maybe nearing retirement age, who've had uh, uh, many years in ministry, who've dealt with all these kind of situations. People like Ian, Ian Spence, um, who's decided in his last couple of years that he would move from a church that he had revitalized previously to another church that was struggling to do a hard thing just a few years before he retired in order to set it up for the next young guy who would come in. Okay, Scott, uh, what's in the toolbox this week? Okay, well, there are a lot of great books out there. Let me give you my top three. Uh, so Tom Moreno, I've already talked about Who Moved My Pulpit. 
Uh, Ed Stetzer, Comeback Churches. Another great book, Church Planning is for Wimps. McKinley, an excellent book where it tells his story of revitalizing a traditional Baptist church in America. And then we've made reference to a number of articles. We'll put those links in the show notes. All right, if you have enjoyed what you've heard today, if you've found it helpful, why don't you go along to iTunes, uh, rate it, and even leave a comment. But thanks for joining us for another episode of The One Thing Today. I'm Scott Sanders. I'm Derek Hanna. Chat soon.